0: Hi listeners, Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read, to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co book club where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September, we'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at racheltompson.co slash book club. What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. In this episode of Lit Mag Love, a podcast for creative writers who want to publish, I interview Doyali Islam from Arc magazine. Arc seeks the brave new voices and features poetry that is woozy, cunning, Shearing and wildlike, as they put it, and prose that offers new perspectives on the verse you thought you knew. Doyali and I talk about offering an emotional truth and creating some kind of intimacy with readers and how poets and readers of poetry feel a sense of belonging through their shared experience of the poem. This is someone who recites her favorite poems to keep herself company as she moves about invisibly, as a lot of us do, in a big city. If you spot her in her cat print dress, though, she would love to connect with you and tells us just how to do so at the end of the interview. Doali Islam is poetry editor at ARC magazine. Her second poetry book, Heft, is forthcoming from McClelland and Stewart in spring 2019. In 2017, Doyali was a guest on CBC Radio's Sunday edition and was a National Magazine Award finalist. She lives in Toronto. Welcome to Lit Mag Love, Doyali Islam. Hi Rachel, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's my pleasure. I would like to first ask you to tell us a bit about the woozy, cunning, shearing and wildlife poems that are published in Arc magazine and how you receive these poetry submissions.
1: So, I didn't write that text and I'm not sure who did, but I think it still holds up. Arc generally seeks uh, a range of submissions. So we're looking for each issue poems that offer up various questions, tones, perspectives, aesthetics. And the primary way that we receive submissions is through the online portal. So that's submittable. poets can make an account and actually track all of their submissions to various journals that use Submittable, not just their ARC submission. So it's a really handy tool. Uh, But aside from that, I do also solicit poetry directly from people I think might have something to offer a specific issue of the magazine uh, or a voice that I'm really interested in, in in terms of bringing into the magazine. And do you have like an average idea of how how many of those are solicited and how much is slush that you publish then in each issue? It definitely varies. Um, I try to first go through the submittable portal. And then if I'm finding that we're not receiving a range of voices, um, or that for whatever reason, the quality of the submissions coming through the online portal are quite uh, low, like the poems aren't quite working the way they should be, Uh, then I'll be more keen to solicit for a specific issue. Um, But in general, I try to solicit work from at least one to two poets per issue. So that might be two or three poems out of um, perhaps 40 or so poems that are being solicited and the, the rest will come from Submittable. Great. And, and what do you mean when
0: you're talking about a range of voices, if, if that's the reason why you're going to find other poets, you know, more than just defining what you mean, but also thinking about what are the kind of voices maybe that you're getting a lot of and, and what would you like to see submitted to ARC?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that the kinds of poets that are submitting to ARC are shifting and and widening. Um, And I hope that's in part because now uh, they see an editor who's like a woman of color and who's younger, uh, certain people feel more comfortable submitting. But the bulk, I I would say, of the submissions are still coming from white poets. uh, I don't know in terms of age, uh, what the demographics would break down to, but I'm always keen to make sure that we're being inclusive. So I'd like to have voices that are um, coming from various lived experiences, for example, in terms of gender, um, sexuality, in terms of uh, culture or uh, skin color. I mean, people use the word race, although race isn't uh, scientifically a technical term, um, an actual term, but but yeah, uh, a wide variety of perspectives because I think it just enriches the magazine. And it also makes readers feel comfortable when they see themselves reflected in the pages of a magazine. They think, okay, then maybe I should submit here.
0: Yeah. I'm imagining, or tell me if this is true, that you're seeing this change as you have more representative poets in in each issue, then you're seeing more submissions from people from variety of of backgrounds is that right yes
1: yeah I would say so I don't I don't have um an exact uh, graph in terms of seeing how it's um changed but I'm definitely feeling that I'm feeling that ARC as a magazine is becoming more open and people are becoming aware of that so yeah I think it's great I hope we can continue to do this work and make people feel more comfortable in terms of submitting to us yeah, and that seems to me
0: to be a lot about visibility. And my next question is actually asking about invisibility, because you told the CBC's Michael Enright that you feel invisible in the day to day, and that poems are small. I'm quoting you here; they almost pass through the world unseen. And I'm like that too. I'm small most of the time when I'm walking around or in transit. I feel almost invisible. And as someone who who's you know, been on transit recently. I I totally identify with that experience, and I'm wondering why why are poems so powerful at making us feel seen? Why do you think that?
1: I love that question, and I'm going to borrow from what you just said. You used the word identification. Um, I think that poems that are working—I I don't really like to say good poems or bad poems—but poems that are working, they're doing some kind of work uh, that is true and urgent those kinds of poems are offering up an emotional truth, or at least they're creating some kind of intimacy with the reader or with the listener so that the reader feels a sense of belonging. And I think um, when I was speaking about that language of feeling invisible, by invisible I really meant I go through my day and most of the times I don't feel like I belong. And I think this is common with a lot of writers, uh, with a lot of poets, that often we've felt that we don't belong anywhere. And that's why we turn to writing. So I guess poems, for me, they make me feel welcome. And they're kind of like the truest place where I feel witnessed or I feel some kind of kinship with a poet who might be very different Than me in terms of where they grew up or how they grew up, but um, somehow their work offers something to me that makes me think, I understand you and I feel reflected in in your words.
0: I love the connections you're making around belonging and community, because it sounds to me, it's not just about writing the poems, it's also about reading the poems and how you're connecting with the poet.
1: Definitely. I think um, that connection can come in two ways. So often it's coming when a reader or a listener is attending to a poem in the silence of, of their own living room or when they're walking through the world. Um, I often recite my favorite poems when I'm walking to the grocery store or the bank or the bus stop and, um, Poems become a way of keeping myself company. So I might recite um, Chesla Miosh's poem, Encounter, or Derek Walcott's poem, Love After Love. And it really does feel like I have a friend and I'm not so alone uh, going about my day. So the connection comes through that kind of relationship. But it also comes when, for example, I attend... A poetry reading and then I hear a poet read their work live and there's an opportunity to engage in a very close space with that poet um, and to hear that poet speaking their words out loud. Um, the African-American poet Etheridge Knight has a wonderful quotation. I think I say it in almost every interview I do. Um, he said, the words from my mouth are beating on the drum of your ear, so don't take this as casual. Beautiful. So I want to ask you about your
0: editing at ARC itself. So when you receive a poem that's coming from the slush and you've got the variety of poems that you like and you feel like that one's successful or it's working, how would you go about editing that poem? Do you make any suggestions or changes typically?
1: That's a great question. Um, So... I guess I want to note before I launch into um, this response that we do accept visual poems. So for example, in the summer 2018 issue, which was our 40th anniversary issue, we published two visual poems and they're really cool. So obviously with that kind of poem, um, when I received that in, in Submittable, I wasn't looking to read that out loud there was really no way to read that aloud or maybe there is um and if uh, listeners have uh answers to that then let me know but um generally i am reading out loud um so i'll open submittable and i'll sit down make it a quiet space and then i'll just go through the poems uh one by one i won't read a poet's bio um I won't read their cover letter. I'll I'll read the work first. So generally, um, it's very interesting. I can tell within a few words whether a poem is working or not, and I'll read to the end. But those first few words are crucial. And the way I describe it is often that there's a kind of music that I feel, um, and it's not related to rhyme or to any kind of sonic uh technique that's happening that's ostensible but there's some kind of inner music um almost like a current like a river that is pulling me into the poem uh and is a little bit at odds with the actual language like the surface of the poem and if i feel that the current is like taking me into the poem, then I know the poem is working. Um, And generally, when I read to the end, it just confirms what I thought. So yeah, that's how I read. I don't know if other uh, editors are are reading that way, but I find that that process has been working well for me.
0: I I love that description of the current pulling you in. And... Are there ever times when you would make pretty big suggestions
1: for for writers
0: about how to change their poem before you'd publish it?
1: The short answer is no. Generally, because of the volume of submissions that ARC is receiving um, on a month-to-month basis, we don't have the energy or the time to take work that really isn't in its final form. Um, And there's also just no space in the magazine. So I can give you some stats uh, that I got from our managing editor, Chris Johnson. So um, this January, ARC received 1,287 submissions. In February, we we received 482 submissions. Um, In March, 518. April, 638. May, 1008. We were shut for June, July, and August, um, but check the website for new submission windows because we've recently changed them. Uh, September, we received 913 submissions, and now we're in October, and so far we've received 393 submissions. So thinking about that and the fact that ARC publishes only three times a year, we're generally uh, taking the work that's already pristine um, because so much is coming in, and we have to narrow down like really amazing shortlists to pick the poems that will go into the magazine. So if we were considering poems that needed a lot of work, um, it's just not something that's feasible for us. But that being said, we do have really cool programs uh, running through ARC. So the primary one um, that relates to this, this idea of editing and more work needing to be done on a poem is the um PIR program, so Poet in Residence program. And every year, ARC hires an external um, editor, an external poet, uh, who mentors writers. And so sometimes um, poems will come in through Submittable, and we really see that there's a lot of promise in those poems. And we'll like mark them out. Oh, maybe this would be a good poet for PIR. And um, then we'll follow up with those poets. And if they're interested in joining the program, then uh, they have a lovely opportunity to connect one-on-one over several months or at least for a month uh, with the poet in residence. And that way they they get to foster a relationship with an established poet. And they get um, a lot more attention in terms of of that editing uh, relationship. So uh, yeah, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And that
0: sounds like a gorgeous program. That's great. I guess at the heart of that question, too, or, or one of the things I'm curious about is I, I really haven't come across a lot of editors who do substantive work on poems. It seems to be more common for other genres. Mm-hmm. So there is something about poetry submissions where they need to be complete or, or not. They, they're, they're kind of either one or the other. And, and those are the ones that are getting
1: published. Yeah, um, I'd say that's definitely true for ARC. Um, I think if my role as poetry editor at ARC was a full-time job and I had the time and um, the energy as well as the financial compensation to, to do that kind of work, I would. But the reality of it is that the compensation is small. I'm sure that's true for all editors. And the work that I'm doing that a lot of us are doing is um, really out, out of a place of passion and compensation often isn't commensurate to the work that we're doing. It just isn't possible and and also um, the fact that so many poems are coming in that are working well when they arrive uh, over the submittable transom um, all of those poems that need additional work are competing with the ones that are already ready. So the way that I view it um, is that Poets send out work, and perhaps um, the poems aren't ready, but they're making a good effort. And what I do is I, I will send a personal re- note to, to someone if I really think that that person shows promise. Um, and I'll tell them, like, don't give up. It was a really, really difficult shortlist. Um, you almost made it. And hopefully that person will go away and take the time to look over their poem and say, okay... Uh, maybe I could tighten it here or maybe I could tighten it there or maybe ARC just wasn't the ideal spot to be submitting that poem. Um, And if they submit it somewhere else, maybe they'll find um, a better fit and they'll find a home for that poem. Speaking about those submissions
0: too, would it be better for a poet to send in a few poems that are working together, that work well together, or do you often publish just a single poem from a poet?
1: So I think this is where I kind of diverge with a lot of other editors, I am totally fine if someone submits just one poem to me. If someone really, really feels that that particular poem is the right poem for ARC to attend to when we are reviewing submissions, I would much prefer that that poet submits just one over um, saying, well, I really love this one, and I think this one is the best fit for ARC, but I'm going to throw in another two And we do, we do allow poets to submit up to three poems in a submission, but um, yeah, I'm happy if someone just submits one. In terms of what we publish, um, we will publish more than one poem by a poet, but it really depends. Um, It's a case by case basis. So I'm really looking at the quality of the work and Uh, If the two poems, for example, um, that I'd like to publish are doing different work, um, if they have different kind of offerings uh, for a reader or a listener, then I'd be more likely to publish both. Basically, every poet is earning their space in the magazine. So if we want to publish more than one poem by a particular poet, we're taking that space away from another poet. So it's like kind of a, a tricky game of deciding like how to divide up those pages. And there's always more work that we want to publish than we can't publish.
0: That part seems like a universal truth that there's always <laughs> so much more. And I really appreciate you saying that about publishing just one poem and, and submitting just one poem. I did just recently interview an editor who said that she would never like to see just a single poem. So
1: Mm-hmm.
0: it's always good to know different editors' preferences. And our, our publisher at Room, Megan Bell, said, I'm guilty. I always send out just a single poem. So she knows to send that to ARC now, for sure.
1: <laughs> yes, Megan, send
0: your work to ARC. Can you tell me about the gratifying experience, a gratifying experience that you've had with editing or, or what's been the most gratifying for you?
1: So again, with ARC, I'm often not editing poems, um, but... There was one poet, um, I won't say who, but this poet sent in a wonderful, absolutely wonderful poem. And it was accepted very quickly, um, like without hesitation. But when it came time to receive uh, the final version of the poem, because the initial poem had been sent as PDF, the poet sent a word doc with one line that had been changed. And it seemed like a small change, but when I read it out loud uh, with the new change incorporated, I really felt that the original poem was much stronger. So I emailed this poet and I explained my thinking and I just asked, um, why did you change this line? Because I never like to enforce an edit, even if it's tiny. Um, it's more about getting into that poet's mind and heart and and asking them, and leaving space for them to answer. Um, So we did that, we had that conversation over email, and um, the poet explained their reasoning for making the change, and I just said, well, here's my thinking, um, and this is why I preferred the original language. However, I do understand your point, so if you want, maybe we could do uh, kind of like a halfway point type thing and um, you know, go halfway between between the original and your your um, revised line. And that's what we ended up doing. And that poet was so appreciative of the attention that I was giving to that poem because really we were talking about a comma and the word and versus the word or. Um, but it made a huge difference to the poem uh, sonically when you heard it out loud. The, the um, change that we came up with was, much better than the revised change. So I felt like that was really gratifying just because it was so small, um, but the poet was really appreciative of the work. Um, And I think it would have been easy for an editor to just quickly pass over the revision and say, okay, yeah, it's, it's totally fine. Like, let's just print this revised thing. But I felt good that I kind of like went into my intuition and, I wanted to do what was in the best interest of the poem um, and to take my ego out of it, to take the poet's ego out of it and to just make that poem work um, so that it could be as durable as possible. And I think that's what happened.
0: A delightful conversation between poets about commas and, and the word and or, <laughs> or or, I love that.
1: Yeah, And it goes back to that
0: idea too, you are saying poems are small and that seems so small. But it really is is big. It's affecting the musicality, like you're saying. And I love the way that you collaborated there. That sounds awesome. mm-hmm. has editing. And I'll I'll clarify too that when I'm saying editing to you, I know I understand you're not doing a lot of hands on editing, but I mean curating. Let's say mm-hmm. poems mm-hmm. informed your own poetry, and if so, how?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that word curating. I do feel that um, that's kind of more of my role rather than than editing for ARC. Being an editor at ARC has done a few things for my own work. One, it's kind of enforced how I want to be treated as a poet. So I like to be very careful with how I treat everyone who comes to ARC with uh, with work for the work that we accept. I feel that um, aside from publishing someone's work and giving them that opportunity, Every poet um, is coming to me and I have the chance to build a relationship or not build a relationship and to treat that person with respect or not treat that person with respect. So I feel like doing this work as a curator reminds me of how I want to be treated when I'm the one submitting the work. And aside from that, I think that reading through submissions and curating reminds me that I think that poems that are working do have things in common, not necessarily the, the content, um, the actual like terrain of what the poem is talking about, but in terms of an intimacy that's being offered, in terms of how deft the language is. Um, the care that goes into a poem, it becomes very evident in what we publish that things that are working have, uh, have certain qualities in common. So in that way, I think, uh, reading and and curating does remind me for my own work that I have to hold myself to those, those standards, uh, which I do. I'm like pretty ruthless with myself in terms of my, my own work, um, when I feel a poem's not working, either I have to decide to just like scrap it entirely or figure out if there's something I can salvage. And
0: can you describe your first experience submitting your writing to journals, your poems to journals? And is there anything that you wish you knew then about Lit Mags that you know now?
1: So before I started submitting poems to journals, I had submitted a full-length manuscript to several small presses. And I really was unfamiliar with the industry at that point, and I didn't know that I was supposed to build up a publication history through individual uh, publications and in journals and magazines. So, anyway, the, the manuscript was rejected um, several times, and finally, one editor said, You really should be submitting to journals first. So I said, Okay. Um, I went to the Toronto Reference Library. And the reference library is amazing here. Um, They actually carry subscriptions of various journals. So for example, they have a current subscription to ARC. Um, You can go into the library and look at even the latest issue that was just published in summer 2018. Um, So anyway, that's what I did. I I sat down in the library and I started pulling out old issues of journals. Um, I looked at the Fiddlehead. I looked at Grain. I forget what else. I looked at, but those two journals stand out, and uh, I ended up submitting some work to Grain, and I didn't know, but at the time Sylvia LeGray was the poetry editor, and a few months later I get a call on um, my landline, and this wonderfully projected voice says, "I'm Sylvia LeGray. I'm the editor of Grain. I would like to publish your poem. Um, I'm not sure which one yet, but like." You know, one of them. I'll t- I'll take one of them, and I couldn't believe it. Um, and we um, we're still in touch today. That initial experience of me submitting to a journal ended up in um, years of friendship, and uh, you know that's very special to me. I think it's quite rare. But um, what happened was Sylvia decided which poem she wanted for the magazine, and she said it's, it's generally working. Um, however, let's go over it on the phone and we'll read the poem out loud. And we, we kind of worked through it that way and she made little suggestions and she ended up taking two other poems for the issue. So yeah, she was extremely generous with her time and energy going back to what I said earlier, that we often don't have the time to do that kind of work. Sylvia did it anyway. And I feel indebted to her. Um, she says that my poetry always had all of the elements of a good poem but she said she could like see something in me and that she recognized that I was a poet and she was really curious to see what I would be doing in five to ten years and now we're kind of like reaching that stage um, and my my poetry has expanded so much. So um, that was my first experience coming to a journal and It was amazing. It's, it was just so special to me. Um, And I'll never, ever feel ungrateful or overlook the work that she did. Well, and talk about setting
0: that tone that you said that you're trying to do when you're working with people about how to, how you want to be treated when you're the Mm one submitting the work.
1: Mm -hmm. How lovely. She was so humble. And, you know, at that point, this was 2010, autumn, 2010, she had already won the Griffin Poetry Prize a few years ago, and she was just so incredibly humble and full of humor, and really focusing the attention on me. And I felt going back to the CBC uh, quotation that you you found, um, I really felt seen and cared for. And I hope that I can do that uh, one day, if not through ARC, um, I hope that just in my own time, I can pay it forward. And when I'm older and more established, I can really um, pull someone up like that, some emerging poet. That sounds to me like you're already doing that
0: too. So that's just so wonderful to see that kind of um, reciprocity in terms of paying it forward that that you're talking about happening already. That's beautiful. I think
1: um, I always feel like I want to do more. Like there's just so much work that needs to be done and it always feels like we don't have the capacity um, to do everything we want but but yeah I hope I can keep continue doing this work I hope I'm already doing this work. Well thank you so much for
0: sharing your lip mag love with us today and can you tell us about how
1: listeners can connect with you and with ARC magazine? Definitely um, so I live in Toronto Sometimes I do get to Ottawa, though not too often. Um, however, if you see me or hear me in uh, a room, so for example, if um, we're at a poetry night and you spot me, often I'm wearing my cat dress. Um, it has all of these black cats on on it and the cats have bow ties. Anyway, um, if you see me in my dress, um, come say hello and don't be shy, don't be afraid. Just come and approach me and have a conversation. Tell me about yourself, tell me what you're doing. That would be really wonderful. Uh, If you don't see me in a room um, or hear me in a room, then you can reach me through Submittable. So send in your poems uh, according to our submission guidelines. And yeah, everything will be collected through the submittable portal so you don't have to worry about your poem getting lost. And then if you want to connect with me, not um, as ARC editor, but just uh, poet to poet, feel free to contact me by email. So my email is listed on my website. And uh, I'm happy to, to say hello and have a little conversation by email. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's
0: really been nice to talk to you. So what am I taking away from my conversation with Dwayali Islam? The first is I have to know that was the best ever answer to the question of how can we connect with you. That was very intimate, close in a room, how to approach her and how to talk with her in a room. And I think I want to underscore that in particular because... It really shows what kind of careful and caring person and editor that Doyeli is. She's really a close, empathetic reader, and her aim is to get into the poet's heart and mind and into their space. Now, for you to get into the journal, you have to earn that space, though, she says. So every poet is earning their space in the magazine, and it's it's tough competition for sure. Some of the ways to get her attention as an editor is to really pay attention to the first words. Those first words are crucial, she says. They need to have some kind of inner music, like a current or a river pulling her into the poem. And your bio, I wouldn't put too much effort into that. I usually suggest that anyway to writers. But in particular, Doyali does not read the bio before she reads your work. She's again a poet and editor who is keen to make sure that the work that's published in the journal is inclusive and that they like to have voices from various lived experiences in ARC, and that ARC is becoming more and more open to those various lived experiences. So if you are someone whose writing is not appearing in those pages or hasn't appeared yet, then that's somewhere that would be a good place for you to try. And finally, she diverges from a lot of editors on the one poem rule. So they're totally fine if someone submits just one poem to the journal. And one of the reasons why it's a little bit tougher to get into ARC is that they actually do a combination of solicited writing and slush. So if the work is not working, is how Doyali Islam put it. She doesn't say that work is good or bad. But if she's finding that a lot of the work submitted is not working, then she will go and approach people and solicit new work. Litmag Love is co-presented by Room Magazine, literature, art, and feminism since 1975, and the Lit Mag Love course, an online course to get smart, fearless, and published with lots of help from me. Sound editing for the episode is done by Micah Lemiski, and I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. If you want to give us some love in the form of a review wherever you get your podcast, we would love that, and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at litmaglove. Thanks for writing and reading literature, and thanks for listening to Litmag Love. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.